All right, we are in the book of James. We are in chapter 4. James chapter 4. This is God's Word. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives more grace, gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. James is very concerned about what comes out of our mouth. Where in the world did he get that? Well, do you remember Jesus? Jesus was talking with the religious leaders of his day, who were often critical of him, because he didn't follow their rules. He obeyed God's rule. He made God's rules. He is the Word of God. But Jesus said, when they were talking about ceremonial washing of hands and so forth, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth that makes him unclean. James is picking up on what his elder brother Jesus had said. It's what comes out of our mouth 
that's such a problem. Our tongue is this unruly member that we cannot control ourselves. We need to yield control to the Lord. And so he gives some examples here of the kind of thing that come out of the mouth that show there's a problem, there's uncleanness on the inside. Verses 1 and 2, he talks about contentious speech. You can add these words to your study for the college boards. Contentious speech. That's, That's things that we say that are adversarial, often designed to provoke others. It's looking at someone's beautiful German shepherd and saying, so is that a rescue? Okay? I mean, now sometimes people do that just because they're clueless, but sometimes people just love to needle others. I heard a guy who literally said to someone who was better educated than they were, so uh, where did you go to school, or did you? Now, you know, that's just picking a fight. Why would you say something like that? Well, contentious speech. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's not that person who's your adversary. What you need to conquer is your own desires. Your desires that battle within you. You want something but don't get it. And so you kill and covet. Well, I haven't killed. Have you coveted? Well, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When I was a kid, I remember the missionary clothes closet in Montreat. People would donate clothing and then people, it was originally for missionaries back when they weren't paid much of anything, uh, they could come by and they could help themselves to whatever was there. Well, in time, the missionaries needed it less, but some other people needed it more, so it was just made available to anybody. You could donate clothes, and anybody who wanted could come by and get them for free. Somebody broke into the missionary clothes closet and stole clothes. I mean, this is crazy. Why would you do that? But we try to get stuff on our own instead of humbling ourselves and asking God. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He taught that to guys who knew how to fish. Is that something you pray only if you can't catch any fish? No, it is to be our attitude about everything God provides because every good and perfect gift comes from above. Our Heavenly Father gives us everything. I know that all of you right now, if I said name two things that you would like to have and you don't, you could name two, okay? But if I were to say, Tell me five things you have that you really are grateful for. Well, I like this, and I I, I like this, and uh, let's see, five. Oh, I like this. We ought to be grateful for everything we've got. 
which breath is your favorite breath? Okay? The reason we're able to breathe, and not everybody can on their own, the reason we're able to breathe is because of God's kindness to us. Back during COVID, people lost, many people lost their sense of smell and taste. How was that? Was that fun? No. We take for granted all the delight that we derive from being able to smell stuff, being able to taste stuff. God set it up that way. Imagine if instead of rods and cones, all you could see was black and white everywhere you looked. Imagine if you couldn't hear anything except a monotone voice. If all of us spoke like this. What a bummer. But God has filled the world with beauty and wonder. And we're supposed to be grateful and recognize our continual dependence on him. Give us this day our daily bread. If you want something, ask God and trust that he knows best as to whether or not to give it to you. Because sometimes we will ask for things that it would not be in our best interest to have. Amen? I can look back across my life and see so many times when I just thought, oh, that would just be perfect. And God said, mm, no, it wouldn't. And he was right. He's always right. But the thing is, he's not just right. He loves us. God could be right all the time and really not give a care about us. But he does. So, when you want something, ask God. So then the next part is impure and prideful speech, verses 3 through 10. You ask. So I do ask. Well, you ask and you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. You're asking with impure motives. You're not asking for the glory of God. What kind of things are we to be asking for? Well, again, look at the Lord's Prayer. And if you want some other examples of that kind of praying in Scripture, look at what the Apostle Paul says he prays for the people he's writing to. What, what does he say over and over in his letters? And I'm just praying that I'm going to get out of prison. No. He'd like to get out of prison. But he says, I am praying that you're going to grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you're going to mature and develop and be like Jesus. I want you to pray for me that I'll be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. And that God will open doors for me to bring the gospel to people who haven't heard yet. That's the kind of prayer we ought to pray. I've told you before about my pastor when I was a teenager in Montreat. He was an old friend of, from decades earlier of the man who became president of the United States, Lyndon Johnson. And he was invited to go to the White House and visit his old friend. And the night before he was to meet with the president, his brother called him from Texas and said, are you really there at the White House? 
And he said, uh, yes. And he said, you're meeting with the president tomorrow? Yes. He says, would you do me a favor? Ask him for an autographed picture that I can put in my barbershop. And Calvin said, well, okay, I'll do that. It was his twin brother. One became a pastor and the other one was a barber. Calvin went in, met with the president the next day. They had a nice time reminiscing. And then the president said, Calvin, is there anything I can do for you? And Calvin said, yes, if you could uh, give me an autographed picture for my brother to take back for his barbershop. The president said, okay. Signed a photo, gave it to him. Calvin left and then thought, what kind of idiot am I? I've just met with the most powerful leader of the most powerful nation on earth, he says, is there anything I can do for you? And the only thing I could think of was an autographed picture for my brother's barbershop. And he said, and then I realized that's how I pray. I'm talking to the God who created all things, who rules the universe, and the stuff I'm asking for is, what? What do you really want from God? To grow in grace or to get a parking spot? Could I have both? I'm just asking you, as you hear God's word here in verses 3 through 10, consider whether or not your prayers are praying rightly. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What do you want to be like? You want to be popular? You want to fit in? You want people to think you're cool? Are you hoping to get a lot of views on TikTok? Are you hoping to be an influencer? Influencer in what? You want to you get people to imitate the way you dress and you do your hair and, and the stuff you do out there? I remember when parkour was what everybody had to do. Mercifully, enough broken bones have caused some people to decide there are other things they can do to be impressive on the internet. I'm just telling you, if your goal is to get glory from people, you're an enemy of God. That's what God says. My wife and I have been married since 1975. That's a long time. We still love each other. How do you think I'd like it if my wife's great ambition was to have a bunch of guys still saying, she's hot? <laughs> if that's the goal, I got a problem with that. Now, I don't have any problem with my wife being beautiful, she is beautiful. I love my wife being beautiful, and I don't require her to wear a burqa. 
okay? One of the most amazing things you see where somebody's taking a picture of a number of women, all of whom all you can see is this, okay? <laughs> and they're, they're, they're standing there, but here we're getting a picture of them, okay? Oh, okay. I, I'm not suggesting that in order to be godly, you've got to be covered from head to toe and don't let anybody tell if you're a man, a woman, or a rock. Okay? That's not it. But if your goal, if your goal is to try and show off so that you get a bunch of attention, and everybody's looking at you and saying, oh, wow, that's a problem. If my wife, do you know why my beard isn't longer? My wife prefers it shorter. That's, that's the reason. It would be easier for me to just keep letting it grow. Now, she doesn't mind if other men grow big, big, big beards because she doesn't have to kiss them, okay? But I have my beard trimmed in order to please my wife because if every other woman who spoke to me about anything said, and by the way, I, I think you look really good, but have you ever thought about growing it longer? I don't give a flip what those people think. You understand? If my wife likes it shorter, she's the one I want to please. And thank God, my wife wants to please me. She'll try on a dress and say, what do you think? We'll be about to go somewhere and she'll say, what would you like me to wear? Why? Because we're in love with each other and we're married to each other and therefore it's a relationship that is exclusive. My relationship with God is such that what pleases Him pleases me. And if something is displeasing to God, I need to realize that should not be a part of my life. Now, I am not perfect by any stretch in my relationship with the Lord. I'm still a work in progress, even at this old age. But I tell you something, what this is talking about is you've got to make a choice. Are you going to go after friendship with the world, or are you going to be exclusively devoted to the Lord? That's the question. And if you say, well, I really, I really, I really want to be liked, everybody has that impulse. But you got to choose, who do you want to please? So, you adulterous people. See, an adulterous person is somebody who's in this committed relationship, but not exclusively. And that's the context in which it says that God, the spirit he caused to live in us, envies intensely, or better translated, he longs jealously. He wants an exclusive relationship with us. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Repeatedly, back in chapter 3, verse 13, here and again up in verse 10, God's going to call us to humility. 
Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't just say resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It says submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If I try to take on the devil in a boxing match by myself, I'm going to get creamed. Remember the seven sons of Sceva. But if I submit myself to God and do what he says, the devil's got to run. I can resist the devil if I'm submitted to God. But if I just want to be my own boss, I'm already submitted to the devil. If I just want to be in control and have it my way and build my kingdom and be my own man, I'll never be my own man. I'll always be the devil's man. I'll always be in bondage to him because that was the original temptation he posed to our parents. Don't do what God says. You can be like God. That's how he got kicked out of heaven. And it's why, as he knows, he's going to spend forever in hell. And his time is short. Wash your hands, you sinners. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. So does this mean, if we're supposed to change our laughter to mourning and all that, the mark of a true Christian is they are always down in the dumps because they understand holiness they realize that life we just might as well go eat some dirt (laughs) is is that what it's saying no it's saying you think you're so great humble yourself Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's it's saying don't go after the world's definition of success. Instead, yield your lives to the Lord. And then he talks about slanderous speech. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But, who, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, now again, you've got to balance this with a bunch of other scripture. There are many places where the Lord tells us we're not supposed to judge. And there are other places where the Lord commands us to judge. (laughs) I'm getting confused. Okay, here's the thing. If you set yourself up as the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong, you are standing in judgment on the law. You're putting yourself in the place of God. You are sinning. But if you lovingly, let me say that word again, lovingly Go to someone because you're concerned that they're falling into the same kind of trap you've fallen into and you don't want to see them be destroyed. And so you say to them, you know, it, it, it looks to me as if this is what's happening and I, I just want to challenge you to repent. 
I was in the same situation. I've, I've struggled with that, and, and God has set me free, and I, he can do the same for you. That's not speaking slanderously or in judgment. You go to them privately. If they're a believer and they refuse to repent, you go with a couple of witnesses. If they still refuse to repent, then you take it to the church and that person needs to be cut off from fellowship. That's not what this is talking about, saying that that would be wrong. That is what is commanded by Jesus and the gospel according to Matthew, by Paul in the letter to the Corinthians. What this is talking about is when we're looking at other people and just, you know, kind of, no, I don't think that's okay. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I've been guilty of that so many times. And I'm the one who's guilty of that. I'm focused on what that guy's doing wrong because in comparison, I can feel pretty good about myself. That stinks. That stinks. I need to be saying, Lord, deliver me. And I need to show mercy. Don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. If you look out at society right now and you see there's all kinds of evil and insanity, you're not supposed to say, well, who are we to judge? No, that is evil and it is insane. But what else would you expect from people who are under the control of the evil one? We need to be praying for their salvation because all of us were also lost at one time. We, too, were creatures of wrath. Reread Ephesians chapter 2. All of us were in that condition. It's not like, oh, we're the smart ones, we're the good ones. We've never been like that. Yeah, we have. Say, no, 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 my only sin was pride. Well, that was the devil's main sin. Oh. So you're saying I uh, kind of have some things in common with him? Yes. Well, now aren't you judging? No, I'm pointing you to the fact that that has been a major pitfall for me and all the rest of us. And we need to take warning from God's word. Slanderous speech, not okay. Neither is presumptuous speech. Verse 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say that today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I have seen people make a fortune. And I have seen people lose a fortune. And I've seen people who were in excellent health and boom, they were gone. And I've seen other people who were in dire straits and God raised them up. Let me tell you something about the future. The only thing you can know for certain is that God is going to do what he promised period. The rest of it, don't know. Somebody texted me a couple of weeks back and said, do you really think, not because of something I said, they were watching the news, they said, do you really think that there might be a nuclear war because of Russia? 
Clearly, this was something that concerned them. And so I said, it is certainly possible, and I am not worried at all. Why would you worry about that? Because I can't control that, but God can. And if nuclear war happens, okay. How can you say, okay, there'll be all kinds of killing? The mortality rate for humanity is 100%. We're all going to die. So why in the world would you worry about the fact that we might be killed? Yeah. Would you rather just, I don't know, what, develop Alzheimer's? I've got a friend right now who's battling Alzheimer's. I just went to the theater on my day off and watched his movie that's come out called Have You Heard About Greg? That's a powerful documentary about the guy who wrote the book on Pluto. The movie and the book have some bad language, but both of them are powerful and provide a witness to the difference that faith has made in his life. Translate that, that Jesus has made in his life. Here's the thing. Are you saying it would be better to be nuked than to To develop Alzheimer's? No, what I'm saying is, you can't control either one. Okay? Well, I think there are some things, even the movie suggests that there are some things you can do to uh, reduce the risk. And so, yeah, okay. But I'll tell you something. All of us are going to die. So instead of worrying about how we're going to die, we ought to be a little more focused on how we're going to live. What are you going to do with the time you have? I don't know what's coming. But I know he's coming. And therefore, I don't have to worry about what's coming. Well, can you make plans? Is it okay to make plans? Perfectly fine. What does it say we should say? You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know why? Because we're supposed to acknowledge in every situation that God is in charge. Just like we're supposed to acknowledge in every situation that this food came from God. That's why we pray before we eat. We don't just behave like a dog. Dive right into a meal as if there's nobody else involved. We recognize as an act of worship at every meal This, even if I just stood there and prepared it myself, this came from God. Because apart from him, there wouldn't be any food, and I wouldn't have any ability to cook. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Live your life as an act of worship, giving him thanks. And when you make plans, say, if it is the Lord's will, this is what we're going to do. The one who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. What do you know that you ought to do? I'll tell you one thing. You ought to give thanks. You ought to give thanks to the Lord. Because every good thing in our lives is a gift.
Father, we come before you with thanksgiving. And we worship you as the one who alone is worthy. Help us this day to believe what you say and to love you with all our heart. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.